Good morning and happy new year, everybody out there. Welcome to Carving Up Live uh, uh, right here on the on Twitter, as well as the Carving Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. I am Bryson Carver, as always. I, I got a little bit out of my rhythm there, man. I'm, used, I'm not used to saying good morning, but uh, it is 11 a.m. here on the East Coast, 8 a.m. out West. It is a new year. Happy 2024 to everybody out there. We are starting the year on Carving It Up uh, in the morning. The only reason we're doing it in the morning is because the Vols play at one, and then obviously the college football playoffs later today. So I'm like, I need to fit it in at some point today because we've got a lot to talk about in the National Football League and college football. It's a football packed show to start 2024. Right off the bat, I got a comment by my man Patrick Brown here at the Grid Network. He says, Happy New Grid Year to everybody. Happy New Year to you, Patrick. Happy New Year to everybody at the Grid as well as to all those who supported the show and otherwise. Very, very excited to be here. This is one of those shows and you know, I usually... If, if there's the occasion, I shouldn't say occasional, if there's a really, really big show, <clears throat> excuse me, where there's a lot to talk about, I always say, like, this is one of the biggest shows of the year. Well, we are 11 hours into the year on the West, on the East Coast. So uh, I guess I can technically say that it is officially the biggest show of 2024. Very, very excited to get into it. Concerns with the Dallas Cowboys after they nearly escaped the Detroit Lions 20 to 19. And it doesn't have anything to do with their defense, which I had questions about. It has to do with a lot of factors with their offense, and I will get to that in about 10 to 15 minutes or so. Going to get into that. Also, Philadelphia. You know, I, I was labeled on social media. It was very hurtful. I barely slept at night. That I was this emotional Eagles hater who didn't bring any facts or objectivity to the table. And what do you know about this? After I called it on Friday, the Arizona Cardinals, the three win at the time Arizona Cardinals, went into Philadelphia and screwed up their season big time. Let's put it that way. I'll get into that in about a half hour. Also, the Florida State. I got something to say about Florida. I'm not even going to tease it. Okay, 45 minutes from now, my thoughts on Florida State. And an aspect of their loss that was actually worse than getting shellac 63-3 by the Georgia Bulldogs. Get into that. Also, the Volview returns one last time to end the football season. My Vols play in less than two hours in Orlando in the Citrus Bowl against the Iowa Hawkeyes. And a look into the future for Tennessee we will see today uh, in Orlando, Florida. Very excited to get into the Volview an hour from now. Recap of Week 17 around the NFL. And to finish the show, no Monday night football games tonight. I mean, as, as far as the NFL is concerned, it doesn't get bigger, bigger than this, y'all. College football playoff, Michigan, Alabama, Texas, Washington. Cannot wait. Both games will be doozies. I will predict both at the end of today's show. So we've got a ton to talk about on Carving Up Live. What better way to bring in the new year than to talk about a lot of football? Uh, by the way, I'll touch on my Steelers briefly. Maybe not so briefly, but very, very exciting to see what we were able to do yesterday against the Seattle Seahawks. Real quick, before I get into anything, I see my man, Ryan Flowers. Happy New Year, Clutch Sports Talk. What's up, Ryan? Happy New Year out there in Vegas and to everybody else around the country and around the world. But first, so Baltimore, I knew they'd win against Miami. Picked them to win, picked them to cover. Three and a half felt like a pretty, pretty easy one. Um... <laughs> Didn't see that coming. And listen, before everybody gets on Miami, oh my God, Baltimore humiliated you. Here's the fact of the matter. I think that game yesterday had about 90% more to do with Baltimore than the 10% of just Miami struggling. I think that was just Baltimore at home with a ton of momentum coming off the San Francisco win and coming in and absolutely mopping the floor with the with the Miami Dolphins. And, and listen, that's 
the biggest story coming out of this game, certainly for the Ravens, that is, is the fact that Lamar Jackson has officially locked up the MVP. It is over. It's, it's there's no there's no storyline. There's a lot of storylines going to week 18, playoff positioning, who's contenders, who's not. The MVP is not going to be a conversation this week. It's just not. Lamar Jackson is not going to play this week against my Steelers. Thank God that helps us. But uh, Baltimore, uh, uh, Baltimore is 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 not locked in the one seed. And Lamar Jackson, after an MVP performance last week against the second best defense in football, against the Dolphins, who since Jalen Ramsey came back was by some metrics the number one defense in football since Ramsey came back midseason. 18 for 21, 321 yards through the air, five touchdown passes, a QPR 0 to 100 of 95.9, and a perfect, you heard that right, a perfect passer rating at 158.3. What I love about Lamar Jackson, and I'm a Steelers fan, I'm still a massive Lamar fan, because this is a guy that I have oddly weirdly have had to defend really his entire career, at least since I've been on this show, <clears throat> is I've always said there's three quarterbacks I've defended more than most. Derek Carr, who props Derek Carr, played well yesterday, but has had a down season. Dak Prescott, who, again, it's kind of weird I have to defend Dak. He's having an awesome season. And even weirder than Dak, Lamar Jackson, who's about to win his second league MVP before turning 30, which I could be wrong. I don't think that that's ever been – or. Second MVP before turning like 26, 27 years old. I don't think that's ever been done before. And he might do it unanimously again. I mean, we've talked about Christian McCaffrey and Tyreek Hill. And some of you mentioned defensive players like Miles Garrett, my man TJ Watt. Dak was in the mix. Brock Purdy was in the mix. Tua Tungawailoa was mentioned. Tech CJ Stroud at one point was at least considered. I talked about it on my show. With Lamar Jackson, it's not just about the stats. Because Brock Purdy beats him in some categories. Dak beats him in some categories. Argument could be made that as, as much as, as tumultuous as Cleveland's offense has been at the quarterback position, if there's been one constant, it's been Miles Garrett. The same exact thing could be said about the Steelers and TJ Watt. It's the fact that Lamar Jackson, and I've said this before, like it or not, part of winning MVP, and I, and, and I don't hate it, is the fact that some of it, some of it, is based off of a narrative. False or not, it's based off of a narrative. For example, Aaron Rodgers won the MVP in 2020. Now, it didn't hurt that he threw 48 touchdowns and led the Packers to the one seed, but did it not kind of help his case? Hey, had a kind of a down season the year before, but the Packers won a lot of games anyway, so Green Bay took Jordan Love, and they were about to bail on Aaron, and he threw 48 touchdowns and had them as the best offense in the NFC that year, helped his case. Patrick Mahomes last year. Now, Mahomes threw 41 touchdown passes, led the Chiefs to the one seed. Certainly didn't hurt matters. But it didn't also hurt Mahomes. It also didn't hurt Mahomes' case that when he lost Tyreek Hill, everybody was like, oh, there goes the Chiefs' offense. Maybe they were a year early, but last year, Mahomes was awesome. He won league MVP. This year for Lamar Jackson, Forget the contract stuff aside. Put that aside. Is the fact that this is a dude. Lamar Jackson is everything that's great about the National Football League. He is. Is the fact that he came to the NFL and you had real, legitimate, respected scouts out there saying, yeah, he probably should switch positions. I don't think he can throw. Lamar sticks to his guns. The Ravens buy into him. Take him with the last pick of the first round, 2018. Well, I'm not sure if Lamar can throw or not, or I'm just not, not sure Lamar can win games for this team. Well, he took over at midseason, went 6-1, and, and led the Ravens to the AFC North when they looked cooked. The next year, 
Well, I know he can win games, but it's got to be a certain way. He can't really throw. The next year completed 66% of his passes, 36 touchdowns, with, which led the league, and a 113 rating, and won league MVP unanimously. Well, I know he can throw. He can't win playoff games, though. Well, he went on the road to Tennessee, the team that shellacked him the year before, beat him with his arm and with his legs. Well, I know he can't win in the playoffs, uh, or he, he can win in the playoffs, but can he play from behind? Well, multiple games in 2021 playing from behind, including a game in which he was down two touchdowns to Patrick Mahomes, came back and won and actually outplayed Mahomes. Last year, is he that valuable to the Ravens? I'm not sure. In the games Lamar Jackson played last year, they averaged darn near 30. In the games he did not play, they struggled to break double digits and went out immediately in the playoffs. They certainly would not have been in that position had Lamar not played the games to get them to that point. The discussion this offseason, I remember vividly talking about it on my show, is, you know, February, March. Oh, who wants Lamar Jackson at that price? I mean, come on. He's, he's not, he's more just an athlete. He's not a great throw of the football. Just completely ignoring the fact that not only has he, had he won at that point, basically 75% of his games, he basically was the Ravens' offense. They couldn't function without him. And that, that, that includes the fact they had no outside threats. Well, now... You bring in Todd Munkin, who's a brilliant offensive coordinator, said from the jump that this was going to work. You bring in Odell Beckham Jr., who's had a resurgence. You draft Zay Flowers, who I loved out of Boston College. Zay Flowers is actually my, my preseason pick to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. He's doing this even without Mark Andrews, with multiple running backs in the lineup. I mean, at this point, it, it's... I don't think the question... The question is not about whether Lamar's going to win MVP or not. It's, is he going to do it unanimously again? Is he going to get all the first place votes? My guess is probably not because you always have that one voter that gives it to somebody like, Who, how the heck did he get, an, uh, get a vote? So you'll probably have somebody goes against the grain that doesn't like Lamar, whatever. This guy is a special, special talent. We, we have, and we do this with a lot of athletes. This isn't unique to Lamar Jackson, but athletes who are different in terms of their styles because Lamar Jackson is not your stereotypical six foot four, strapping, big, massive arm quarterback who just stands there in the pocket. He doesn't play like Allen, Burrow, Mahomes, Lawrence, etc. But what he does, it works pretty well. He's an outstanding pocket passer, which he's never gotten credit for. He's the best quarterback, according to Pro Football Focus, and they watch film for a living, uh, outside the pocket. He's number one graded quarterback outside the pocket. He's accurate. He's got a good arm. He doesn't turn the ball over, and we know what he can bring with his legs. There are multiple different ways to be a quarterback. If we try to pick apart what's there, what do we not like? He doesn't fit what we think a quarterback should look like. Just embrace it. Obviously, it works. This is going to be the second time Lamar's led the Ravens to the one seed. Now, in fairness to those who have criticized Lamar, now he's got to go win in the playoffs. I don't know if he's going to play next week against Pittsburgh. Please, Jesus, I pray that he does not. He obviously will not play the week after that because they have a bye. AFC is wide open this year. Kansas City can't do anything offensively, seemingly. Miami, well, we just saw what Baltimore did to Miami. If, if Should that matchup reoccur, the Dolphins will have to go to Baltimore again. Buffalo's hot and cold, hot and cold. You never know what you're going to get from them on a week-to-week -week basis. Cleveland's great. Joe Flacco's going to turn to a pumpkin eventually, though. Whoever come as, comes out of the AFC South is probably one and done in the playoffs. I mean, the AFC is wide open. So in fairness, the pressure is on Lamar now. He's going to win his second league MVP. Again, might do so unanimously. He's having a phenomenal season. Now you got to go win, win in the playoffs.
if he gets the AFC title game, can we put this to bed? Certainly, if he gets the Super Bowl, we can. But if he loses, if he gets the AFC title game and Mahomes, the Chiefs offense, come in and they win a walk-off field goal, and but Lamar played well, I don't think we'll be crushing Lamar. At least we shouldn't be. But uh, listen, I said last week that, that what, what the Ravens did to the 49ers was the statement of the NFL season. Like, I, I knew San Francisco was never unbeatable. I never said they were unbeatable. I thought they were the best team. Still think they're the best roster in the league. I did not think that they could be embarrassed. They could be pushed around. They could be out-physicaled. That's exactly what Baltimore did. And that's what they did in Miami yesterday, and it looked even worse. As a Steelers fan, it hurts to be safe. But shout out to the Ravens. Uh, they're playing better than anybody in the league right now. And, um, yeah, Lamar Jackson's a special talent, man. He is a special, special talent. I've been saying it for years. Let's see. We got some comments up in here. My man, Ryan Flowers, he said Jackson sewed it up. Yes, he did. Like, there is no discussion next week. We kind of figured as topsy-turvy as the MVP was this year, like, it'll probably come down the wire. It won't. It won't. Patrick. Lamar, lights, camera, action, Jackson, put on a show. Baltimore's head and shoulders above everybody else in the league. Yeah, I heard it. I heard, um, gosh, I think it was Dan Orlovsky saying ESPN, and I kind of agree with him. Like, it feels like the only way Baltimore loses in the playoffs is if they beat themselves. Like, honestly, so like that's, that's something you got to keep your eye on as well. Ryan, I'm still proud of Dak. He bounced back this year. No question about it. About to get into Dak and the Cowboys in just a second. But, yeah, Dak has... All the criticism on him, and that's why I argued Dak for the longest time for MVP. Like, all the narratives. He can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. And he's literally doing all the exact opposite. Uh, yeah, Dak, listen, if I had an MVP uh, ballot, I'd vote Lamar MVP, I'd vote Dak second. Like, that's what I would do. Patrick, the flock packed, sorry, the flock pecked them some sea mammals and feasted all day without stopping. The Ravens defense shut down two potent offenses in back-to-back -back weeks. The teams who were contenders, they've blown out. That's the impressive thing. I mean, they've beaten. I mean, here's the thing that's crazy about the Ravens, okay? They've won uh, 13 games. They've won 13 games this year. 10 have come against teams with a winning record. I mean, we could just look down the list here. They beat Houston. They beat, uh, well, of course, actually, I think that's it's, still, it's nine because the Bengals lost or seven. I don't know. But uh, they've beaten the Browns badly before. Uh, they beat the, or sorry, they lost the Steelers. Beat Detroit badly. Remember that game in mid-October. Uh, beat the Seahawks. Beat the, oh, of course, I guess it's now six wins now. The Seahawks. So some of these wins don't look quite as impressive, but still, uh, for the Ravens, they beat the Rams in overtime. Beat the Jaguars. Beat the Niners badly. Beat the Dolphins badly. Uh, this team is feeling about as good as anybody in the league, and they should. Patrick, Baltimore's on a different level than Kansas City right now. Give me Action Jackson over Magic Mahomes. So you would take you would take Lamar over Mahomes in general or this season? Because this season it's obviously Lamar. You you take him in general? Ooh, I don't I don't know about that. I don't know about that. I oh, I don't know about that. Ravens 76B more. Respect to you. I'm glad a Steelers fan can see Lamar was being held back by Greg Roman. Salute to you. And and the, well, I appreciate the the compliment, first of all. I appreciate that. Um my thing with Greg Roman was always this. I think Greg Roman, Greg Roman was like a uh an ex-girlfriend who you had a good relationship with. They were good for the time being. You had a good time with them. And, but they weren't, they weren't necessarily for your long-term future. Greg Roman was perfectly suited for what Lamar was good at at that time. But as Lamar got better as a passer, Todd Munkin's a, a, a much better fit. So yeah, as time went on, yes, Roman was holding Lamar back. It wasn't that way in the beginning. It got that way towards the end. But uh, I do agree with you there. EJ Savage, boys in the zone. What's up, my man? 
He says, if Lamar wins the MVP, he'll be the first quarterback to win the award without having 30 touchdowns since 2008, which was Peyton Manning. And again, th that's why I said earlier, Lamar's you know value is not dictated just off of stats. It's, I mean, listen, we've seen them, by the way, and I've argued this with Dak before, take Dak out of the Cowboys line at the offense grinds to a standstill. Um, it's even more so with the Ravens. It's even more so when Lamar's out. And listen, what he's done. By the way, again, no Mark Andrews in the lineup. It's outstanding. I appreciate that little uh, that little fact, DJ. Patrick, I take Lamar in a playoff game right now over Mahomes. I still wouldn't do that. I think I've seen Mahomes do too much in the playoffs. I see. I saw Mahomes be a great Cincinnati team with Travis Kelsey and a bunch of nothing. I mean, he was literally, literally throwing passes to special teams guys on, on in the fourth quarter on big second down and five plays for crying out loud. So. Listen, there's no, I, I've always, I've said before, in the history of the league, Brady included, and he's the GOAT, there's no quarterback I'd rather take down double digits than Patrick Mahomes. None. And I know the Chiefs offense is struggling right now, but Mahomes, to me, has already entered that Brady stage in the sense that, yeah, the Patriots are not better than X team, the Chiefs, or the Steelers, or the Broncos. Don't bet against Brady, though. I mean, how many people were picking Tampa Bay against Dallas last year despite the fact that Dallas was way better? Even at age 45, can't bet against Brady. I think Mahomes has kind of been that in, in that class. Um, and Lamar certainly has way more to – and I, again, I love Lamar, but he has way more to prove than Mahomes. That's, that's, I mean, that's obvious. I mean, Mahomes has two league, league, two league MVPs and two Super Bowl MVPs and some awesome playoff runs. And listen, and again, I think I – think, I think best quarterback in the league and MVP, or even quarterback you trust most in MVP are two different questions. Excuse me. Depending on who you're comparing Lamar to. And there's not many that many guys that take a Lamar in that, um, in that regard. But there you go. Okay. Shifting to the Dallas Cowboys. They played a standalone game Saturday night against the Detroit Lions. By the way, fun fact, before the year started, this was my preseason NFC title game pick. I said Dallas would go to Detroit, lose. Dallas would win the NFC. And so uh, that was a really weird game because you <laughs> you think about the fact Jared Goff throws for 271, Lions rush for 125, the other side Dak throws for 345, Cowboys run game is, is, is a no-show, more on that later. Both offenses did exactly what I thought they were going to do, go up and down the field, Detroit was going to run the football effectively, there beat some turnovers, Dak threw uh, one interception, Goff threw two, so you know, you had a little bit of unevenness there, but I thought by and large the defenses would kind of get cooked. 2019, the final score. This is kind of just a weird football game uh, in, in many different respects. So before I even get to Dallas's concerns, I, let's let's address the elephant elephant in the room, which is the whole officiating situation. So we know this, we know the situation. Detroit goes down the field. Why Dallas is playing a soft man, I don't get. It seems like everybody in the NFL does it in two-minute situations. It's play the soft man-to-man -man coverage. I don't get it. You're playing into the offense's hands. Point being, Detroit went right down the field, of course, because they're a great offense. Goff completes the pass to St. Brown, who's an awesome player, scores a touchdown, and to the surprise of literally no one, I tweeted before that drive started, I said, if the Lions score, I will bet everything Dan Campbell goes for two. Of course he did. And Jared Goff completes the pass to Taylor Decker, uh, one of his offensive linemen in the end zone for the two-point conversion. It gets called back because, according to the officials, there was a, a it was an illegal procedure, legal formation, and uh, I believe it was Skipper number seventy who did not report. I'm sorry, was it seventy seventy Skipper who did not report um, as eligible? Here's the thing: it was Skipper Decker. 
I feel sympathy for Detroit in the sense that they probably got screwed over um, because there's tape of, of, of the guys going up to him saying, hey, I'm eligible. But as my man, I don't know if he's still in the building, but I saw him, him on yesterday's show, um, his show on Clutch Sports Talk, Ryan Flowers. He pointed out, usually when a guy, when an offensive lineman reports as eligible, the ref uh, announces it over the PA announce, uh, over the, the PA system in the stadium. Everybody in the building knows, okay, number 68 has reported as eligible or number 70 has reported as eligible. So everybody in the building knows. It felt a little bit like, and I don't even necessarily blame Detroit because if they would have gotten away with it, nobody would have said anything. But it feels like Detroit was trying to kind of, a little bit of gamesmanship, kind of trying to subtly, hey, we're eligible. I just don't, refs don't announce on the PA, announce the speakers. Now that's probably more on Brad Allen and the officiating crew than it is on Detroit. But be that as it may, if Dallas knows one of the alignment is, is eligible, the defensive call is probably different. So you have that component onto it. That aside, though, and by the way, can I say this too real quick, and then I'll get back to Detroit. Um, thank goodness Brad Allen isn't going to be, reportedly according to Adam Schefter, isn't going to be doing any playoff games, him and his crew. Uh, I saw this. This is according to Warren Sharp. He's a great analytics guy uh, in the NFL. We have three situations this year where Brad Allen and his crew have called primetime games. Three primetime games Brad Allen and his crew have called. So you had the controversy on Saturday night with the illegal touching uh, penalty with Detroit. You have, remember that game when the Packers played the Chiefs and there was an obvious pass interference against Marquez Valdez, Scantling, clear pass interference that they didn't call? That was Brad Allen's crew. And then you had, when Miami played Philadelphia in Philadelphia, you had the game where Miami committed 10 penalties, the Eagles didn't have any. So you, you had sort of an unbalance there. Uh, and, and so, Im, imbalance there, rather. And so that's, you know, the NFL always wants, always wants their best officiating crews out there as the NBA, Major League Baseball, any professional sports league, any college uh, football product or college anything product. But uh, Brad Allen's not going to be doing any games. The Lions and their fans and everybody are like, man, why didn't you do it a game sooner? I don't feel a ton of sympathy for Detroit, though. And I, you guys know that's like I've been, I've, been, I've been big on the Lions all season long. Dan Campbell. And I again, I love Campbell. I love his aggressiveness. Why on God's green earth, after that penalty is called and it moves the ball back to the seven, why don't you kick the extra point? Bro, you're at the seven-yard line. You got a better chance of making a 38-yard point after or getting a, a two-point conversion from a seven on one play. Now, they got bailed out because Micah Parsons was offsides, but then they didn't complete the two-point conversion attempt from the two from Goff to St. Brown. Goff, it was, it was a bad throw. He, he missed St. Brown. He could have scored and gotten the two-pointer. But at that point, man, when that when that gets called back, as bad as it might have been, kick the extra point from the thirty eight, uh, kick a thirty eight yard extra point. Like, what are you doing? Don't don't overthink. Don't outthink the room. Send the game to overtime. And at that point, Detroit has the momentum. Dallas can't seem to generate anything consistent offensively. Like Detroit would kind of have the momentum going into OT. Their defense have played re uh, relatively well throughout the night. But Dan Campbell's, uh, you know, it's kind of like screw it. I'm going to be a little reckless here. Go from it from the seven. Again, it still could have worked because Parsons jumped off sides, put the Lions back at the two. You know, I tweeted during the game, this feels like, you know, when you're a kid in the driveway and you keep taking the game-winning shot over and over, like uh, 
I don't know. Uh, Williams takes a shot at the buzzer, missed it, but then he gets another opportunity and he missed that one. And then he take like we all did that as kids. We keep missing the game winning shot in the driveway, but then we keep taking it over and over. And magically, there's like two extra seconds coming the clock. We we, we kind of know where we're at at that point. That's what that in, end of game sequence felt like. Detroit kept getting opportunity after opportunity, and at the end of the day, they just weren't able to cash in. For Dallas, though. Because you guys know, again, Dallas was my preseason pick to win the NFC. Uh, and you guys know I'm a big Dak Prescott guy. I think he is absolutely, unequivocally, he's clearly top 10. The man might be a top five quarterback before it's all said and done. I have a major concern about the Cowboys. So the defense, by and large, outside of that last drive, played pretty darn well. They got two takeaways off Jared Goff. The running game for Detroit was really good, but it didn't gash him the way that I thought that it would. I thought Detroit could run for like 200 yards, potentially. Uh, they did not. They ran for 125. So Dallas defense, by and large, did a pretty good job against Jameer Gibbs and against uh, Montgomery. However, it's offensively, and it's a guy, and if my man Phillip is watching, he's going to be like, see, I've been telling you, because me and, me and Phillip, he's a big Cowboys fan. We text back and forth during games. And he's been, as well as a lot of other folks, very skeptical of Mike McCarthy. And these late game situations, every right to they have every right to, to be that way because of the end of the San Francisco game two years ago and clock management stuff. Here's what bothers me about Mike McCarthy because it isn't just the the debacle, the bad clock management at the end. Here's what just it, Mike McCarthy. Remember when he got the job in Dallas and he said, "I'm going to be this analytics guy. I'm a I'm a changed man. I've changed the way that I'm coaching football." I'm going to rely on analytics. And I've said, by the way, in the show, I've said there's a healthy balance with analytics. You should use them. You are doing yourself a disservice. You are setting yourself back if you don't use analytics. That said, you should not let them make every single decision. That said, I've got, I've got a number here. Again, this is from Warren Sharp, uh, from Sharp Football, analytics guy. If I have this, there's no way McCarthy and the Cowboys don't have this. McCarthy, Mr. Analytics guy, really? Here's what the analytics say. Detroit has the number three ranked rush defense in football. They have the number 25th ranked pass defense. Despite that, assumingly knowing that if you're the Cowboys, they ran the ball 12 times on first down. They got 20 yards on 1.7 yards per carry. So they went nowhere. But when they threw the ball, again, against the 25th-ranked pass defense, you think you throw it a lot, especially on first down. They threw 12 passes. Dak threw 12 passes. He was 12 for 12 and had 7.3 yards per attempt. Like, this, this isn't hard stuff right here. Like, it's again, I'm not saying you should totally abandon the run game entirely, but at the same time, when Detroit knows what's coming, half the time, like, okay, Pollard's going to get a yard, maybe two. It's going to be second and eight, and we can come after Dak. And if it's third and six, we can come after Dak again. As opposed to Dak completes an eight-yard slant to Lamb, now you get a lot of things to work with. You can go play action. You can still run the ball and get a first down. So McCarthy can say what he wants. He's not an analytics guy, clearly. But it's the, and I've said this for weeks, and, and, and you know after the Miami game, everybody's panicking on Dallas. I said, listen, Dallas is kind of what I thought they'd be, at least by the midway point in this year and even before the season. I thought the defense would be better. It's still fine. It's still above average. I thought Dak would be amazing. I thought CeeDee Lamb would be amazing. That's basically what we saw against Detroit. Dak was outstanding, 345 yards, led the go-ahead touchdown drive, 
And CeeDee Lamb had a monster night. Uh, we, we all listen, the highlight of the night was Dak off his back foot throwing a, a freaking bomb to Lamb, and he takes it 92 yards to the house. But a CeeDee Lamb, 13 catches for 227 and a touchdown. I saw this stat today, though. I was looking this up. And this, to me, is what's concerning about Dallas and helps obviously helps other defenses is the fact that uh, I, saw, I saw this. CeeDee Lamb made up 56% of the offensive production, of the offensive yards for Dallas in that game Saturday, and in general, he's made up almost 29. One guy, one skill position player has made up almost 30% of the offense. CeeDee Lamb's got nearly 1,700 yards receiving this season. Second place, Jake Ferguson. He does not even have 700 yards this season. So it's Dak, Lamb, or bust. Brandon Cook, stop. He's not a number two receiver. He's so valuable, he's been traded four times in the last year. Saints traded him to New England. New England traded him to Los Angeles. Los Angeles traded him to Houston. Houston traded him to Dallas. Evidently, he's not that valuable. Michael Gallup way passes Brian, and I hate to say it because he had the ACL injury. It sucks. Michael Gallup's not the same player. Jalen Tolbert, come on, man. What are we doing? Jake Ferguson, like him, don't love him. The offensive line for Dallas is not playing that well as of late, despite getting Tyron Smith back. I thought Detroit's defensive line played very well on Saturday. And we all know the run game is virtually non-existent. This is why, and this is one of the reasons I said when I was talking about Dak on Friday's show with the whole Micah Parsons taking a shot at Brock Purdy thing, I said, I don't think we give enough credit to Dak for what he has to deal with. Off the field, immature Micah Parsons, uh, enigmatic owner in Jerry Jones, uh, on the field, no running game, inconsistent defense, literally no legitimate threat on the outside aside from CeeDee Lamb. I mean, God forbid, man, biggest knock on whatever. God forbid if CeeDee Lamb went down. Then what do they do? Then what do they do? This is why I argue Dak is, is, is infinitely more valuable than, valuable than Brock Purdy. If Debo Samuel goes down, well, he's still got a Uke and Kittle and McCaffrey. He's still got plenty of weapons there. If in, I mean, heck in Baltimore. Now Lamar's played awesome, but Mark Andrews is probably gone for the year. Well, they have Zay Flowers. They have Eldo Beckham Jr. You look at if AJ Brown, God forbid, went down. Well, he's still Devontae Smith. And they have Dallas Goddard, and they have a good running game with DeAndre Swift and a good offensive line. CeeDee Lamb goes down. They're screwed. Now, knock on wood, that hasn't happened. CeeDee's been healthy throughout the vast majority of his career, including this season. But uh, that's a the fact that their coach seemingly refuses to adjust, refuses to do exactly what the numbers are screaming at him to do. Again, I want to repeat this one more time. Detroit. There's only two defenses in the entire NFL that have a better rush defense than the Lions. They're number three in all football. But they're awful against the pass, 25th ranked. Yet they ran the ball 12 times on first down, didn't even get two yards of carry out of it. But when they threw the ball on first down, Dak was 12 for 12. This isn't hard stuff here. So McCarthy situationally concerns me. And listen, I already, I already had concerns about no legitimate threat aside from CeeDee Lamb. Uh, that's that's even more that that's even more so now. This is not great, not great. But and I'm about to get in the Eagles in just a second. It's not all doom and gloom. Cowboys get the two seed, and we know the Cowboys at home and on the road are very different football teams. More on the Eagles in just a second. First, let's look at some comments. Yeah, there he is, my man Philip Chanel. How about them Cowboys? In all caps. Well, since you say that, Philip. And since Jimmy Johnson, shout out Jimmy Johnson, finally got inducted into the Cowboys Ring of Honor. Here you go. How about them Cowboys? Yeah! Very fitting. And he ended, obviously, that um, that 
speech by saying, how about them Cowboys, which is which was fitting. And he says, cry, Eagles, cry again. About to get in the Eagles in just a second because, man, do I feel validated on them right now. Patrick, the most unimpressive win for my Cowboys. It didn't feel like a win, but the cardiac Cowboys gave all the fans anxiety as always. Mike McCarthy did all he could to gap this game. That's a fact. Aiden Hutchinson should have been called for tripping instead of Ferguson since both teams had on white pants. The refs had to flip a coin. Yeah, it, it was, that was, I, I saw that too. Thanks for pointing it out, Patrick, because that was a weird play where they called the tripping on, uh, on, on Jake Ferguson, but it was actually, the tripping was actually called, or was supposed to be called an Aiden Hutchinson. So it was a, it was not a terribly well officiated game. It just wasn't. EJ, boys in the zone, if you're not winning in the run game, you've got to get into the pistol or use draws to keep the linebackers honest. Also need to tell Dak to keep it, to actually keep it on the options. Well, yeah, we know Dak is obviously a threat with his legs. I don't want him running a ton. Maybe it's just the PTSD from the ankle injury three years ago. I don't want him keeping it a ton out there, but it can still be a threat for this Cowboys offense. We know Dak is very effective with his legs. Uh, boys of his own, especially considering how much the Lions linebackers bite on misdirection and aren't that great at tackling in the open field. Oh, you're not kidding about the tackling. I mean, the bomb from Dak to CeeDee Lamb, it was an awesome play by Dak. But how in, how in God's name is the linebacker not wrapping him up in the end zone? He had him dead to rights. So it was, it, was, it, was, it was odd. Patrick, this proves we should have traded for Derrick Henry, a sledgehammer who's ran his yardage in Tennessee. Uh, you're not the first guy I've heard say that, Patrick. And how much of a luxury would that have been for Dak? You know, to have a guy who, and especially, again, one thing I will defend McCarthy somewhat on, not the play calling, but as far as the philosophy, is the fact, if I can pull this up here, so Jordan Lewis gets that interception for the Cowboys, right? Jordan Lewis, nickel corner, picks off Jared Goff. And do we have it here? Okay. So Dallas has the ball at the Detroit 29. And the Lions have two timeouts left. And the two-minute warning. Except the tripping call puts them back. Okay, so it's first down and 25 for Dallas at the Detroit 44, right? They, they go pass, pass. Pass. They don't run the ball a single time. Now, I'm okay with that because you literally can't run the ball. My thing is, then do what Kyle Shanahan would do and throw some screens. <laughs> throw a screen to CeeDee Lamb, a screen to Tony Pollard. Get somebody out in open space. If you're going to throw the ball, make sure it's a high percentage completion. That's what Shanahan does. That's what Mike McDaniel does. What all the smart offensive coaches do. But do I blame them for not running the ball? No, I don't blame them at all. They can't get anything. Now, they should have called the game better, but in the same respect, yeah, that's Derrick Henry would have gone a long way for the Cowboys. Forever DC, 70 reported and 68 did not report. You don't know what those guys said, if anything. The ref did announce 70, 68 was not eligible and left alone in the end zone. That is summed up very well. Patrick, Cowboys have three had three wins. Home win, Jimmy Johnson goes in the ring of honor, and Eagles misery and reveling is a beautiful form of revenge for Cowboys fans. Cry, Eagles, cry again more on the Eagles in just a second. Forever DC, I was at the game. Oh, good for you. Ref announced 70, tripping penalty was called on the Cowboys when it was Hutchinson. If called correct, in, uh, if called correct, game over, no TD, no BS. It was a design play to cheat, and they got caught. Yeah, and again, game is a shift. They tried to pull one over on the officials, trying to kind of pull one over over the Cowboys. And that's that's kind of what I was saying. Like, it's, there is, it's what I always say. If you give the officials a reason to call to call a penalty, don't be mad if they do. Like, that's kind of my thing. Uh, and it was dicey, but I, I, 
I just don't get why Dan Campbell didn't take the extra point after that got called back. That that was very weird to me. That, to me, was kind of like defiant. Okay, come hell or high water, I'm going to go for two. If we're at the 50-yard line, I'm going for two. I don't know. Now, the first time, I don't blame him go for two. Might as well go for the win, right? Get get, get it done. Go home with momentum. Uh, do or die play. But at the same time, kick, kick the 38-yard extra point, go to overtime when that got called back. It was a weird game nonetheless, though. I mean, I thought both offenses played very well. But both defenses had their moments, and it was 20 to 19. Now, the good news for the Cowboys is they're going to get the two seed, which who could have ever saw that coming? Who could have ever? Oh, yeah, I did. You know why I did? Um, Because I picked the Philadelphia Eagles to lose to the Arizona Cardinals on Friday. It was my upset of the week. Now, why would I possibly, like, Bryson, how could you have seen that coming? Three-win Cardinals going into Philadelphia, tough place to play road games? Go into Philadelphia and win after they just got slacked by the Bears, who are playing pretty well right now, but still the Bears. This is this simple. It is this freaking simple. Philadelphia's defense is nothing short of atrocious. And I have been saying this since week bleeping one. Every D, every quarterback. I mean, every quarterback, with the exception exceptions of like Tua, who didn't play that well against Philadelphia. I mean, it's there's some outliers in there. By and large, it doesn't matter if you're a superstar quarterback like Dak Prescott or if you are a terrible quarterback like Mac Jones. It is come one, come all. Anybody can cook this defense. Mac Jones in week one. Kirk Cousins in week two. Sam Howell twice. Zach Wilson looked... Decent against the Eagles defense. Actually won a game against Philadelphia. Dak Prescott, twice. Josh Allen cooked this defense, as did Brock Purdy, as did Drew Locke on that last drive, as did Tyrod Taylor in spurts, as did Kyler Murray from start to finish. Philadelphia had a 98-yard pick six. They had a 15-point halftime lead. You know why they couldn't hold it? Because their defense is bad. It's bad. I, I don't know why people will not come to this realization. It's why I said last week in Philadelphia, oh, the Philadelphians, oh, they were, they did not like it. Oh, they didn't like it. What are you talking about? Do you even watch the games? You know, you're just an emotional Eagles hater. No, I watch the games. Pretty closely, actually. And among the contenders in the NFC, Philly ain't one of them. Niners are the favorites. We all agree on that. I think Dallas is second. I think Detroit can beat Philadelphia. I think Tampa Bay, even despite yesterday, can beat Philadelphia. I think Seattle can beat Philadelphia because they literally just did with their backup quarterback. I think the Rams can throttle Philadelphia. Heck, these days, I wouldn't pick them, but who's to say Green Bay couldn't beat Philadelphia the way they're playing offensively? This is, and again, everything that I've said about the Eagles over the last few weeks, last week, oh, I got crap. How could they be number 10? I mean, they won. How could they be number 10 on your top 10 list? For the very reasons, the reason they lost that game yesterday was the very reason I had them in at number 10. And spoiler alert for Wednesday, they ain't going to be in the top 10. That is not a contender. Philadelphia, I absolutely love their offensive personnel. I love, listen, people are going to give Jalen Hurts crap. I'll give him the injury pass. He is clearly injured. I will get Hurts the injury pass here. What he's doing clearly hurt. Uh, Philadelphia probably should have sat him a long time ago. They did not. They're probably reaping the repercussions of that. But Jalen is, given the circumstances, I think has had an okay season. Okay? The offensive line for Philadelphia, amazing. 
The running game for Philadelphia. Not great yesterday, good in general. A.J. Brown's really good. Devontae Smith, who, by the way, got hurt, so there's a weapon gone for Philadelphia, potentially. Devontae Smith's an excellent number two. Dallas Goddard's an excellent tight end. Eagles might have the best offensive line in the league. I absolutely love their offensive personnel. Could, do they miss Shane Sykin? Yes. But by and large, that's a really, 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 really good offense that can score on the best of them. But any team in the NFL can score on them, too. Philadelphia this year. This isn't in some stretch. This isn't in the last month. This is the whole season in totality. The 10th worst in yards allowed, 4th worst scoring defense in the NFL, 5th worst pass defense. In other words, in order for the Eagles to win playoff games, they're going to have to score 30, maybe 40-some games. I mean, crap, they scored 31, got a pick 6, and still lost. And by the way, Arizona... And Kyler, by the way, shout out Kyler Murray. I've been skeptical about him for a long time. Kyler, in the time he's had back from injury, has played pretty darn well this season. Was amazing yesterday. Kyler Murray, if we can look at his stats, just went up and down the field on him. 25 at 31, 232 yards passing. Uh, yeah, 232 yards passing. Three touchdowns, QBR 0 to 100 of 84, and a pass rating of 116. So Kyler was excellent. Uh, but here's where every single, let's look at this, okay? Excluding. The end of the half, when the Cardinals basically didn't have any chance to score, there wasn't that much time on the clock, excluding the end of the half. Here's where all the Cardinals' drives ended, folks, including the pick six. First drive, they ended at the Philadelphia 10 field goal. Next drive ended at the 24, Philadelphia 24. That was the pick six. Next drive ended at the Philadelphia 16, end of the half. The next drive, touchdown, next drive, touchdown, next drive, touchdown, next drive, touchdown. Reason the Cardinals were down 15 at halftime, they were just beating themselves. They couldn't cash in the red zone. They had the pick six. I mean, I remember watching that game. It's 21 to six. I'm like, I think Arizona's gonna win. Arizona's gonna win. Swear, I swear to you. Like, I, I think the Cardinals are gonna come back. Eagles haven't stopped him yet. Eventually, the Eagles offense is gonna cool off a little bit. Again, I asked the question now that I asked last week and the week before that. What do the Eagles do? Great. Brotherly shove? Heck, they got stopped on that yesterday. Now they got it on fourth down the next play. They got stopped on a brotherly shove. Even the thing they do great, they couldn't do execute well, at least in their first go at it. O-line's great, but I'm saying, what do they do great? They're a good running team. They're a good passing team. They could be great if Hurts was injured. They're awful defensively. Now, special teams, you could say they do special teams great because Jake Elliott is a darn good kicker. Heck, these days, are they terribly... Well coached. Because if there's anything that I know, it's that, listen, the season, there's going to be ebbs, there's going to be flows, you're going to be up, you're going to be down. That's called football, that's called sports. It's a long year, you're going to have up and down stretches. You're going to deal with adversity. But when you have Nick Sirianni with those weird press conferences talking about how uh, Jalen in that game against Seattle was trying to draw a pass interference when there was plenty of time left in the game. He didn't have to draw a pass interference. When Jalen Hurts says after that game, I don't like our commitment level. We have Devontae Smith last week saying we're not playing well, and Devontae Smith unfortunately went down in that game yesterday. A.J. Brown won't talk to the media, but he will talk to idiots. I should say idiots. Talk to nobodies on social media. You replaced a defensive coordinator midseason and thought we wouldn't notice. What do the Eagles do great? This, I don't care what anybody says. That is not a championship contender. It's not. You cannot, to me, you cannot win the Super Bowl or even go on an extended playoff run. If there is an aspect of 
what you do on all three in all three phases, offense, defense, special teams, if there's a phase that you do terribly. Well, for Philadelphia, it's not, well, middle of their, de- I'm sorry to say middle of the defense. Like, back end, there's concerns. We don't love their safeties. It's everybody. Now the defensive line, which was the strength of that defense, is dealing with injuries. Jordan Davis went down yesterday. They are collapsing. They are imploding before our very eyes. <clears throat> Niners are better. We saw that. Dallas better. We saw that too. Detroit's better defensively and way better offensively and better coach for that matter. Tampa Bay's better, uh, been playing better and Baker's been one of the better quarterbacks this year and yesterday not, uh, notwithstanding. Seattle's better. We saw it. The Rams are better. Rams have been one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team of the last month and a half. What did the Eagles do well? But I'm the emotional Eagles hater, Philadelphia. Okay. Enjoy your cheesesteak. We got some comments here. What do we got? Patrick, Eagles are a first-half team. Their defense allowed Arizona to run all over them. That's a fact. 200 yards rushing for the Cardinals. Cardinals controlled time of possession. They did. They, I think they had the ball for almost 40 minutes in this game. Uh, now, some of that was because of the pick six. Eagles got seven of their points from, from a pick six. But, uh, yeah, you're exactly right, Patrick. 30, they almost doubled them up. 39 uh, minutes, 39 seconds to 20 minutes and 21 seconds. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate this, CJ. He says, Bryson, baby, cowherd, carver, spitting facts. I appreciate that. Listen, Colin is, is one of my idols in the business, so I genuinely appreciate that compliment, EJ. Patrick, players don't want to talk to the media after losing, but when they were barely winning, oh, nobody can beat them. I love seeing them whine, cry, pout, and be grumpy old men. They ain't that old, but I get your point. Forever DC, the trip, okay, he summed up the Cowboys game. He said, the tripping was for trying to trip Pollard. Why would the Cowboys try and trip their running back? That's a great point. Patrick, their third down defense is atrocious as well. Coach Pencil, Matt Patricia, can't save them. It's the same old defensive scheme and nothing has changed. It was a beautiful sight seeing Nick Sirianni look clueless. Cardinals had 40 minutes time of possession. That tells you everything you need to know about Filthy's defense. Niners were celebrating at the expense of the Eagles losing. Yeah, that was a cool video of the Niners after they beat Washington. We're like in the tunnel. I think it was Debo Samuel and, and George Kittle. Was it Michael Silver? Uh, who's a really, really good insider. Shout out Michael Silver, who was show, who was, had the game on his phone and showing them uh, that the Eagles were about to lose. Again, when virtually any quarterback can carve up your secondary, you can't win a playoff game. You just can't. And as a result, and I this is why I said before the Dolphins game, I, I said this verbatim. I said the, cow, the game for Dallas, by the way, Cowboys game against the Dolphins, not Phillies. When the Cowboys played the Dolphins, I said, this game, the only significance it has for Dallas is any prayer shot at the one seed, which they weren't going to get anyway. And more importantly, can we beat a good team on the road? Well, they didn't do that. But I said before the week, this impacts them none. Win, if they win by 1,000, lose by 1,000. It impacts them none in the division race because they still need the Eagles to lose, which they would because the defense would cost them. It was going to be against the Giants. It was either going to be against the Giants, one of these two games, two of these three games, or against Arizona, which I felt was more likely because of how Kyler is capable of playing. And I said Dallas would get the two seed as a result, and the Cowboys, if they beat the four-win commanders, will be the two seed. It feels like maybe Jerry, maybe Jerry Jones lifted the curse of Jimmy Johnson because games like that Saturday night affair against Detroit never go Dallas's way. And anytime the Cowboys need help to control their own destiny, it seemed like they never get the help, and then they got it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was a little, little something at AT&T Stadium that is permeated across the National Football League today. I don't know. 
or over the weekend at least. So Dallas is going to get the two seed, and I can guarantee you, Charles Barkley style, although I'll be more correct than Charles uh, tends to be, Dallas will be in the NFC title game. They'll either go to San Francisco. Their path looks pretty simple to me. They're either going to play, I guess, Seattle. Like They could play the Saints in theory. My guess is they probably play Seattle or Green Bay. They will likely at that point face either Philadelphia or, which I think Philly's going out in the first round, or Detroit. So I'm going to go Detroit there. And at that point, they would probably go to San Francisco. And, you know, they've, they've had a lot of struggles in San Francisco, so that could be dicey. But, uh, and, and that's, by the way, something I said, I said Dallas was going was gonna to win the NFC. I know a lot of people will disagree with me here. If Dallas makes the NFC championship game, I think it's a successful season because they can get that monkey off their back like, Okay, like if if Dallas gets the NFC title game, loses 27-17 to San Francisco, Purdy plays great, the defense overwhelms Dak and CeeDee Lamb in the offense. Like, But at that point, you say, okay, we're not that far off, evidently. Now, we can't beat San Francisco. If they lose to San Francisco, maybe it feels a little different, but that's that to me feels like the most likely loss for Dallas in the playoffs as, as well as for anybody who plays the Niners. I think if Dallas makes the NFC title game, it's a successful year. They haven't been there since Clinton was president. Come on. Patrick, Dallas wins next week in Washington. They take the NFC East. Philly falls to the five seed and plays whoever comes out of the horrendous NFC South. And I think I still think it's going to be Tampa. Bucks lost yesterday to the Saints, but they still control their destiny. As long as Tampa Bay beats the awful Panthers, they're in. And the way Baker's plan, and the way Baker, ba- way Baker's plan with Mike Evans, with Chris, Chris Godwin, those guys, against that secondary on the road for Philadelphia, I'm just telling you. I'm just Philly will be favored, understandably so. I'm just saying. Okay. I really wanted to talk about this. Excuse me. And I'll do re- week 17 recap, the ball view, and my predictions for Bama, Michigan, and Texas, Washington. Great college football playoff games today. <laughs> I wanted to discuss Florida State a little bit. Because uh, I'd be lying if I said I did not enjoy that uh, debacle on Saturday night. Georgia, the Georgia Bulldogs, beat the Florida State Seminoles 63-3. And I know what the overall consensus is. I shouldn't say consensus. What the argument is from one side or the other. It's either, see, this shows you Florida State should be in the playoff. And the other side says, don't care. This doesn't impact their, you know, whether or not they should be in the playoff. They had multiple players opt out of this game. I'm going to come out with from a different perspective. So I argued for weeks passionately. That ain't a playoff team. I argue even more passionately once Jordan Travis went down. I'm like, this, this offense is a water pistol. It's awful. It's unwatchable. And Michigan will throttle it. And they're objectively not one of the four best teams. And um, what I got a kick out of, Florida State thinks they got job. Thinks they got screwed. Thinks the college football playoff committee is out to get them. They want. They don't want to root for the little guy. You know Georgia. You know they say it's unprecedented. Florida State. It's never happened. A Power Five undefeated conference champion has never not made the playoff. Mm-hmm. You know what else has never been done before? A team has been number one. From start to finish. Enters the last weekend. Championship weekend number one. Loses by a field goal to Nick Saban. Back-to-back national champions. Georgia Bulldogs. 
Yeah, you're out of the playoff. And you fall below Florida State, for that matter. Georgia has a far better case when you look at strength of schedule, when you look at the freaking eye test, defending national champions, and their only loss was to Bama by a field goal? Oh, Georgia had a far better case. They were screwed than Florida State. But what was the difference in the reaction? What was the difference in the culture? Florida State spent the last month whining, moaning, complaining. They're like the petulant child who doesn't get their way, crosses their arms, sags their elbow or sags their shoulders, and stomps out of the room. They acted like petulant children. Meanwhile, Georgia, who had just as good of a case, if not better, that they got screwed, said, well, this sucks. But Kirby Smart's like, yeah, it sucks. Let's go whip Florida State on, on Saturday in the Orange Bowl. Let's, let's, let's go show the playoff committee they were wrong. It's not going to change anything. But let's make the playoff committee rethink, dang, we should put Georgia in. <laughs> you know, like it probably should have been. Florida State, you had legal action against the ACC. Governor Ron DeSantis threatened to sue the college football playoff committee. Oh, they got it against us. The little guy, Florida State. And they acted like a little child. Meanwhile, Georgia, because Georgia has a winning culture, a winning program, a great coach, said, no, we're going to play this game. Now, Georgia had opt-outs. Georgia had transfers. But by and large, their important players played this game. Brock Bowers didn't play, but he's injured. He's going to be a, a high first-round pick. Um, the key players played, and they went out and showed you why they very well should have been in the playoff. Interesting. I just I, I watched that game, and I'm like, you know, it's hard to argue Florida State should have been at this point, huh? Well, they should have been in anyway. And that tells me this. Florida State being in the playoff had nothing to do. And I mean nothing to do. For those of you that think Florida State should have been in, at least admit it had nothing to do with them being one of the four best teams. At least admit that. This team barely survived the awful ACC. Awful ACC. I mean, USC, with their backup quarterback, with no Caleb Williams, throttled you, Louisville. Dominated them. Florida State, in that game, scored 16 points against Louisville. USC, on the other hand, scored 42. Florida State played the victim card. Wanted everybody to feel sorry for them. Georgia's like, you know what? This sucks, but guess what? We didn't take care of business. If we beat Bama, then we're in the playoff, obviously. Undefeated, beat Bama, won the toughest conference, or second toughest conference of the Pac-12 this year. We're in the playoff. They looked themselves in the mirror and said, okay, let's go show the playoff committee they were wrong. It's one thing to whine and moan and complain about it, but let's go show them they were wrong. It's a culture problem, which falls squarely upon the shoulders of the head coach of Florida State, a guy who I think is an excellent head coach, Mike Norvell. He played the victim card. He let his players play the victim card. He let the media play, some of the media play the victim card for them, and they got what they deserved, a 60-point throttling. Not so many people argue for Florida State to be in the playoff now, huh? And those who are, at least admit, guys, it had nothing to do with them being one of the four best teams. My favorite comment, we, I see a lot of funny stuff on social media. My favorite comment I, I saw all weekend long, 
was a comment that said it, it was it was of, of the final score. It said Georgia wins sixty three to three. And this person commented, I wish I knew who it was, but this person commented, don't care. Seminoles still should have made the playoff. And I'm a Michigan fan. <laughs> it's like, this is, that's perfect. Yeah, of, co- of course, Michigan, Michigan's probably, probably watch a lot. Like, dang it, I wish they would have let Florida State in. Dang it, I wish we could have played them instead of Bama. I played the, remember I played the video. I don't have it on here right now, but I played the video a month ago when it was announced that Alabama got in over Florida State. And it was the Michigan watch party. And you hear Reese Davis on ESPN. Who's the fourth team? The Alabama Crimson Tide make the college football playoff and everybody in the room. I just, oh, you got to be kidding me. Think the reaction would have been like that if Florida State got in? No. And by the way, I heard about that great Florida State defense. Well, if nothing else, I know the offense can't score points to save their life, but you know, but you got to let the great defense in. Yes, they gave up a 60 burger to a team that Saban held to 24. Enjoyed every last second of it. I listen. This isn't a shot at the. This isn't a shot at the fans of Florida State. This isn't even a shot. It certainly is a shot at the playoff committee. This is not personal. But when you play the victim card, when you are, you want everybody to feel sorry for you because you felt like you got dealt a bad hand. You know what, guys? Life happens. Sometimes, sometimes you get dealt a bad hand. You saw Georgia responded to their bad hand, and now Florida State responded to their bad hand, which was the same thing. And Georgia probably was dealt a worse hand because of a three-point loss to Alabama. As it turns out, we actually got a Florida State fan in the building, Patrick Brown. As an unbiased Seminoles fan, I was not shocked nor surprised we got beat. I said in my article that we shouldn't uh, have an undefeated, undefeated season overshadow what we accomplished. My team was very mature, childish, and every adjective to describe how we acted. I didn't waste my energy over watching a team who failed to put up a fighting effort. That's it. And uh, and put up your first comment. Listen, and that's the, or, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's the first comment. You said, uh, I said in my article, by the way, check Patrick's stuff out on the Grid Network website. I said in my article that we shouldn't let an, uh, we shouldn't allow an undefeated season overshadow what we accomplished. Absolutely. At, listen, Florida State lost their quarterback, won the ACC. Props to them. They deserve all the credit in the world. They didn't let the adversity uh, impact whether or not they won or lost these games. Hats off to them. They should be top 10 in the, in, the, uh, in the polls. Good for them. That is not a top four team. I'm not even sure it's a top six team. Oregon would des- destroy this Florida State team. Oh, so would Georgia. So would Ole Miss to the Penn State. Ole Miss would wipe the floor with Florida State. I don't know. I mean, come, come, what are we doing here? Come on. I enjoyed it, though. I did. I'll tell you, that, that, that whole floor station in the playoff thing, it's real quiet. Real quiet. Figured it would be. Okay. Uh, what do we got here? Oh, that's right. Here we go. This is this is my this is my favorite thing to do. So, Tennessee's football season will conclude, uh, I shouldn't say an hour from now, the kickoff an hour from now against Iowa. And uh, obviously, you guys know out there, I'm a huge Tennessee Vols fan. I've got uh, this Tennessee helmet back here. Also, this new Tennessee helmet. Look, look, look at this, y'all. Yeah, my sister got this for me for Christmas, okay? It's a it's a smoky gray hat, but as you can see there, it's the the smoky mountains here in the beautiful state of Tennessee, which we take great pride in. So it's like a smoky gray, smoky mountains helmet. Really, really cool stuff. So shout out, Chloe. I appreciate that, that Christmas gift. But um, Tennessee plays Iowa today. 
in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl against the Iowa Hawkeyes, who were the Big Ten runner-up. So, for the final time this season, this football season, we'll come back with some basketball stuff in a couple months. Don't you worry. But for the last time this season, the inaugural season of the Vol View, thank you so much, everybody, for watching and enjoying all season long. One more, and let's finish on a high note, Tennessee. The Vol View starts right now. It is indeed football time in Tennessee. The Vols taking on the Iowa Hawkeyes once again in the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. I may have a bowl of Cheez-Its while I watch this game. I don't know. But Tennessee in this game. So I, I've always, I've already sort of recapped the season and the highs and the lows. And obviously Tennessee uh, did not really, given the expectations come in, didn't really meet them. That said, it was by no means like a, a disaster season. They didn't barely make a bowl game. They weren't. Florida. How about that, Florida? How about how, how's, how's five and seven feel? Anyways, Tennessee taking on the Iowa Hawkeyes. Tennessee ranked 21st in the nation. Iowa ranked 17th. The Hawkeyes finished second. Or I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say second. They finished runner-up in the Big Ten, losing to Michigan in the Big Ten title game 26 to nothing. And the thing for Tennessee is uh, Joe Milton, who's been the starting quarterback this season. And by the way, can I say shout-out to Joe Milton? And I don't like the hate that this guy's getting right now from some people involved nation. I do not like this at all because this is a dude who transferred to the University of Tennessee uh, after the 2020 season, which was a disaster for Tennessee, not just on the field, but off the field. The coach got fired. Uh, there was recruiting violations. Uh, there was there was there was punishment against the against the program. It was a disaster. And Joe Milton said, I'm going to transfer there. Team up with Josh Heupel, the head coach of the Vols. Great play caller, right? I've been, I've been come here, become the starting quarterback, which he did. And two games into the season, he got benched for Hendon Hooker, who we know never gave the job up, and Hendon became a legend at Tennessee. Milton stayed throughout 2021 through 2022, came back this year for a senior year to start for the Vols, played relatively well, uh, you know, by and large. Again, 20 touchdowns, five picks, so a good touchdown to interception ratio uh, and had a, a solid QBR as well. So the thing is for Joe Milton, he is not going to play today because he is going to sit out for uh, to get ready for the NFL draft. So shout out Joe Milton. Uh, I think these scouts are going to be blown away by his arm. Pocket awareness concerns me. We'll see what Joe Milton does at the next level, wishing him absolutely nothing but the best. But for Tennessee, starting at quarterback today, and again, I've pronounced his name multiple different ways. I've heard it pronounced multiple different ways. I will do my very, very best. Nico Yamaleva. I think I said his name correctly. I may, I may have not. We'll see. But Nico will be making his first start as the Tennessee Vols quarterback today against Iowa. So, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, Nico is a true freshman, and last year was the number one ranked high school quarterback in all of high school football, even over Arch Manning, who's at Texas right now. He's ranked even over Arch, even over a Manning, uh, even over Peyton and Eli's nephew. He was ranked over him. So Nico's a guy 
who's mobile, relatively big dude, could put on some muscle, but that's going to come. He's still a kid. He's going to he's gonna adjust as time goes on. But Nico's a dude, good arm, really accurate, excellent outside of the pocket. This is a dude who brings all the tools to the table, and in doing so, he's going to provide a very, very bright future for the University of Tennessee with Josh Heupel, obviously, as his offensive play caller. So he's going to start against Iowa. The thing that I find odd is evidently Vegas does it doesn't have nearly as much confidence in Nico as I do. Because of a simple fact, <clears throat> I guess that it, because he's a true freshman, Milton is the more experienced guy. He's a senior. Uh, the line a couple of weeks ago got to as high as Tennessee minus eight and a half. Well, now it's down a full three points to Tennessee minus five and a half, which I find a bit odd. But to give the Iowa Hawkeyes credit, I have called them the Pittsburgh Steelers, my Pittsburgh Steelers of college football. Now, that doesn't apply as much now because my Steelers, man, we are rolling offensively. But by and large, the Steelers have not been a good offense this year. Neither has Iowa. By the way, the uniforms look very similar to Pittsburgh. But Iowa this year, okay? This is in, gosh, what was this? What would this be? Week seven? From week seven on, these are their offensive point totals. They scored 15 in a win against uh, Wisconsin. They scored 10 in a loss to Minnesota. They scored 10 in a win over Northwestern. 22 in a win over Rutgers. 15 in a win over Illinois, 13 in a win over Nebraska, and then they got shut out by Michigan in the Big Ten title game. So they are not a good offense. Matter of fact, they're a very bad offense. But like the Steelers, very, very good defense, an excellent defense for that matter. In that stretch since week seven, they gave up six to Wisconsin. They gave up 12 to Minnesota in a game that they actually lost, seven to Northwestern, a shutout against Rutgers, 13 points against Illinois, 10 points against Nebraska. And again, they give it 26 to Michigan, but by and large, that's not terrible. Michigan is more of a ground and pound team, so they're not going to score as much as other teams, but still 26, that's not, it's not getting embarrassed. It's the offense that obviously didn't show up to the party. So for that reason, because of how great uh, Iowa's defense has been and how good Tennessee's defense has been at points this season, the over-under is only 36 and a half. Uh, Tennessee favor minus five and a half. So when I look at this game, I could see Josh Heifel, especially in those first, that opening one, two drives to start the game, really what your kind of your, your primary game plan is for, your opening script, your opening game plan is to, to develop, to get some high percentage completion for Nico, which is what that offense is surrounded with uh, or, or, or prides itself on. You're going to have Dylan Sampson at running back, Jabari Small, and 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 um, Jalen Wright declaring for the NFL draft. So Jabari Small, uh, I'm sorry, um, Dylan Sampson at running back to rush the football. Tennessee's got an excellent offensive line when healthy, which they are. So to be able to run the football effectively with Sampson, get some high percentage completions with Nico, and then maybe open up the offense a little bit in the second half if he's able to feel comfortable enough. I anticipate Tennessee's defense will do a great job against Iowa. Uh, Iowa's offense, that does, that's not saying much. I don't see Iowa getting much of anything going, certainly in the passing game, if not the running game as well. With that, So with all that said, I'm going to take my balls 27-10 to 10 over the Iowa Hawkeyes and win this game and win the Citrus Bowl and finish 9-4, and four, get two bowl wins under head coach Josh Heupel. Tennessee wins this one 27-10 over Iowa. They do obviously cover the 5.5-point spread. And I guess, would that hit the over-under? Okay, that's over barely. Barely. So it's 36.5. That's 37. So by the skin of, skin of their teeth, I think they will hit the over-under, and Tennessee will cover. Vols win 27 the 10 of the Iowa Hawkeyes, and that will conclude our 2023 football season. It's been a fun one doing the Vol View every Friday at 6.30 Eastern. Obviously, today's not the case, but, you know, by and large, 
6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific time every Friday, The Vol View. Obviously, we will be back next college football season. Cannot wait for Nico time, the Nico era with Josh Heupel. Cannot wait. It's going to be some fun, fun stuff. But go Vols, beat Iowa 27-10. to I'm calling it right now on the spot. We do hit the over-under, and Tennessee does cover the five-and-a-half-point spread. And we finish the season on a high note, and we get a good look at what the near future looks like for Tennessee with Nico at quarterback. So, until next season, that is it for the Vol View College Football Edition. The Vol View, it's been fumble. Tennessee. I'm going to miss hearing that. I'm going to miss hearing that. I may just play it uh, in my personal time just if, if I need a, a jolt of energy before I, like a workout or something because, man, love the Volview. And that was actually an idea, by the way, by my mom. Uh, to Well, see, my guy Barry was talking about, hey, let, like do like a Tennessee segment. And my mom said, why don't you call it the Volview? So I'm like, okay. I molded over. I had my own ideas, but evidently the Volview was a much better idea. So we went, th- went, went with it. So shout out to Barry for the idea for the segment. Shout out to my mom for the name of the segment. And uh, had a lot of fun. Again, we'll bring the Volview. The Volview is not just relegated to college football, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to bring it back for March Madness for men's and women's uh, college basketball for Tennessee. Very, very excited. And there you go, Patrick. Look at Patrick. He's pulling for pulling for Tennessee. He's got, he said, go Big Orange, 38. Okay, I like it, Patrick. 38 to 17. That would be great. I would be very, very excited if he scored 38 on that defense. Grady, what's up, Grady Edwards? He says, Happy New Year. I agree. Lamar's MVP, unless there's a bad collapse next week. I'm guessing he rests. Yes, well, I'm I'm hoping he rests. I, I assume he will. I'm crossing my fingers he rests for Saturday at 4.30 Eastern uh, against Pittsburgh. So we can go ahead, win this game, get in the playoffs. Now, let, let, let's go look at the rest of the NFL real quick. Look at some of the other games across the league. Uh, Bills beat the Patriots 27 to 21. This is, listen, when I saw the Patriots, I'm sorry, the Bills were favored by like 14, 13, 14 points. Uh, apparently the line ended at Buffalo minus 15 and a half. I'm like, what the, who in God's name would bet this? Uh, or, or it's not would bet this in general. We'll bet Buffalo to cover. They've been a hot and cold team, up and down team, down as of late. But thanks to the quarterbacks they're playing, they've been able to get away with it. Listen, folks are going to be on, Mommy, do you believe in Buffalo now? No, as a, if you're what it depends on what you're talking about. As a good team, as a team that can scare somebody, yeah. As a team that can win the Super Bowl, not a chance, not a chance. I do not get the same Bills team week to week. They're up and down their roller coaster. Uh, they were in a dogfight with the New England Patriots to the final minute, uh, or not the final minute, to to the second half. Despite Bailey Zappi throwing not one, not two, but three interceptions and having a passer rating in the high forties, uh, so. Now, again, uneven game by Josh Allen. Had a QBR of 19 on 0-100 to uh, through a, a rough interception. Again, he I love Josh. He can't help himself sometimes. But uh, props to Buffalo. And how about, listen, week 18 is going to be nuts. It's going to be nuts. The Bills, ladies and gentlemen, can get the two seed. 
They play Miami on Sunday Night Football. It's going to be the last game of the regular season, game 272. That game will decide the AFC East. The Bills could be the two seed, and they could be out of the playoffs. It, it swings that much. I think I, there's a scenario in which they could be the sixth seed, all that. They get some help. But essentially, if the, if the teams are supposed to win, win. If the Bills win, they're the two seed and host two playoff games. If they lose, their season is over. It's crazy how much it can swing that crazy. It's crazy. Grady, Buffalo will be a second or first round exit. They are barely beating bad teams. What happens when they play the Ravens or the Chiefs or even Cleveland? Miami. We saw what they did in Miami, but again, it's it's the old theory. It's the old theory. Not even theory. Just It, it almost always works when, when you bet this. When you have a great team or even a very good team, which Miami absolutely falls in that category, that gets humiliated on national television, expect them to come out with their hair on fire the next week, especially with Miami's in the playoffs. Like this, they don't have a do or die situation like Buffalo does. Uh, but the Dolphins, given how much they struggle on the road, would sure love to have a lot of their games at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami and have the two seed. But uh, there you go. So, yeah, but that, listen, the Bills needed a walk off field goal to be Easton Stick, and we're in a dogfight with the Patriots with Bailey Zappi at quarterback. Like, what, what, what are we doing here? Bears throttling Atlanta 37-17, and I will continue with the most unpopular opinion in, in the NFL right now, but I'm sticking with it because I firmly believe it from the, to the depths of my soul. I think the Bears are in a perfect situation. Perfect. So they've officially got the number one pick due to the Carolina Panthers being awful. So they've got the one number one pick. Uh, Chicago on the clock. They'll draft number one in late April, unless they trade it, which I don't anticipate they will. They'll have their own first-round pick. So the question is, what do you do with Justin Fields? Well, given how he's played, everybody's like, ah, oh, keep Fields. He's playing great. And by the way, Justin Fields has been excellent. Atlanta's got a really, really good defense this season, and Justin Fields kind of cooked it. Uh, Justin Fields had 45 yards rushing in a touchdown, 268 yards passing in a touchdown, had a pass rating almost 100. Justin Fields played really well yesterday. Justin Fields played well all season long. His stock will never be higher, Chicago. Move him for a first-round pick. At this point, I've, I've said for a long time, you can get a second-rounder for Justin Fields from an Atlanta Falcons, from a heck of Pittsburgh Steelers. I'd take Justin Fields. I, I'd take him. I really would. Um, push the ball down the field, mobile. I would take Justin Fields in, in Pittsburgh. Absolutely. Will not take Russell Wilson. I'd take Fields. But the point of that all is to say this. The way he's playing, you're telling me a team wouldn't give up a first-round pick for him? As desperate as teams are for quarterbacks, I could see it. Absolutely. So you, if you're Chicago and what you're like, Bryson, why the way Fields is playing? Why would you trade him? That's your guy, not your guy, me. But your guy is in the Bears. There's a generational talent coming out of college at USC. This is the next Andrew Luck. This is the next uh, Trevor Lawrence or Peyton Manning or John Elway. He is in that class of player. You do not miss on these guys. I've I've equi- I, I've I've given the example. Passing on Caleb Williams in favor of Justin Fields would be like passing on Kevin Durant in favor of Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's a good player, all-star level player. He ain't Kevin Durant. That's what this is. And so, the Chicago, your to me, your decision making got a lot easier. That you will never, you will never. Get more from Justin out of Justin Fields or for Justin Fields in a trade than he will right now. Do not miss on Caleb Williams. It will set your franchise back a decade if you do this. This is a fork in the road moment for Chicago. This is a do or die moment for Chicago. Take 
Caleb Williams and move Justin Fields for the most you could ever move him for. I think this is so obvious for Chicago. So obvious. We'll see. Patrick, crazy scenario. AFC East comes down to Buffalo and Miami. Winner takes the division. Loser gets the five seed, if I'm not mistaken. Well, uh, Miami would get the five seed, I think. Yeah, my, I'm almost certain Miami would get the five seed over Cleveland uh, in the playoffs. Or, no, uh, well, it looks like the Browns. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. So I think the Browns, I'm going to look this up because I want to get this right, Patrick, because because that's that's actually a, a very interesting point about where Miami would end up. Obviously, again, the Dolphins are 100% in the playoffs. They've clinched a spot. Cleveland's also in the playoffs. It do, I don't see anything about them clinching a seed or clinching the five seed or something. So it looks like, yes, the Dolphins would. If the Brown, now, the Browns got to lose to, to Cincinnati, which I honestly don't think they will because the Bengals at this point now have nothing to play for uh, with that loss to Kansas City. But uh, the five, no, I think the five seed is going to be Cleveland. If Miami loses, they're the six seed. If Buffalo loses, they could be out of the playoffs, which is wild, but that's what it's going to be. And yeah, Patrick says, I'm sure that'll be the Sunday night game. It is. The NFL came out yesterday. They showed their week 18 schedule. That is the game. Miami, Buffalo, Sunday night. Buffalo on the road, favored by three points. So there you go. Uh, Grady, as the Texans owner said what Peyton Manning was a free agent interested to coming to the team, we don't need Peyton Manning. We got Matt Schaub. I could see the Bears making a mistake like that. That's a great analogy, Grady. And this would, I, I cannot even put into words the mistake that this would be. I, I, I'm... I'm here to listen. Chicago, it's it's a great city. It's a phenomenal fan base. Uh, the Bears are like, we, we, you know, the Bears, Mike Ditka and defense. You do not, oh my gosh, I cannot emphasize this enough. You do not pass on this kid. All what I give if the Steelers had a chance at Caleb Williams. All what I give. You do not pass on this kid. What's up, AJ? From the Cowboys camp fam. Happy New Year. Cowboys are the top seed in the NFC beast. Just feeling great. Well, you should be. Listen, great win over Detroit. Philadelphia blows against Arizona. So, listen, I know, I know the Cowboys camp fan. Shout out to those guys. The best dudes in the world. Best podcasters uh, you could possibly find with the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, they do live streams every game. They do uh, midweek shows. I've been on their show multiple times. Great, great dudes. Very, very smart. Crack if you got them, as, as they would say, to bring in the new year. But happy new year, AJ. Happy new year to the camp fan and to everybody out there. Let's look at the other games. Colts beat the Raiders 23-20. to uh, This game played out kind of how I thought it would. I, I said 16-13 Colts and ended up being 23-20 to Colts. Uh, Aiden O'Connell was fine. Uh, I, I was talking, actually, Grady's in the comments. It, it's funny, but we were texting about this back and forth. I said it's funny that Aiden O'Connell is playing Gardner Minshew this weekend because I think he can be a basically Gardner but less popular. Basically, we know Gardner's popular with the stash and the jorts and and all that and and, and his 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 summer travels. But I, I think hey, there's some things with Aiden O'Connell. I think he be he can be a good at his peak. I think he could be a good low end starter, high end backup, kind of what Andy Dalton was about five years ago. Uh, what Gardner Minshew is now, who played well in this game, the Colts in position to make the playoffs. I hate that the Raiders lost this game because this could have really helped Pittsburgh. But uh, Raiders are officially out of the playoffs. And uh, the Colts, I believe, with a win, are well. I don't. I think the Colts need some help. I, I, I could be wrong on that, but uh, Indianapolis still alive. That's that's what that's the moral of the story. Jacksonville beating Carolina twenty six nothing. So this is the classic example of something where I was wrong in the short term, right in the long term. And here's why I say that: I picked Carolina to win this game because I thought Jacksonville's defense has been reeling the last few weeks. 
Carolina come off a 30-point outing against the Packers. Bryce Young showed some signs of life. And Trevor wasn't playing like this just wasn't going to work for Jacksonville. Well, I was wrong in the short term. In the long term, to me, if I'm a Jaguars fan, I'm livid. Now, the Jaguars, good news for them, they win, they're in the playoffs. They beat Tennessee, they're in the playoffs. No harm, no foul, they're in. I would be absolutely livid if I were a Jaguars fan. Because, and this is not hindsight, I said this the show after Trevor went down. You can go back and look at the tape. When Trevor went down against Cincinnati in that game, Jacksonville ended up losing in overtime. They fell 8-4. and four. Okay, they lost to, to, to the Bengals. They're out of the one seed picture, but they could, they're still going to win the division. I said, you need to rest, Trevor, these next two games. You're playing the physical Browns defense, the physical Ravens defense. Be careful. Nope, we're going to play Trevor Lawrence, even though he's got a, a bum ankle. He's going to get even more beat up against Cleveland. Then we're going to play him against the Ravens. We saw what the Ravens defense is capable of yesterday. We're going to play him against the Ravens defense. He's going to get concussed. Past concussion protocol, thankfully, against Tampa Bay. Then he's going to hurt his shoulder in addition to his ankle, and he's not even going to be healthy enough to play against Carolina. And seeing what C.J. Beathard did, albeit against the Panthers defense, so there's a little asterisk next to that, but that has got to be like, oh my gosh, if, if C.J. Beathard would have been in, could we have won maybe one more of these games? Had the division basically locked in and had our quarterback healthy? But this is what poorly run franchises do. Quarterback mismanagement at its finest. That's what the Jaguars did. Now, if they win against Tennessee, they're in the playoffs. But they won't have a healthy quarterback. And they won't have a terribly favorable seed. Which, had they rested him, maybe they would have leapfrogged Kansas City. Maybe they would have. Yeah, Grady, thank you. And, and Grady and Patrick both saying the same thing, and it's unacceptable. David Tepper threw a, Grady's comment. Tepper threw a drink on a fan, by the way, and Patrick, same thing. T David Tepper acting like a fool, tossing drinks on Jack's fence. He, he's he's a terrible owner. And Grady, you called this. You, listen, you know the Panthers much better than I, obviously. I, I, I was a Tepper guy when he bought the team. You, you were not. You, you've clearly been proven to be right, right in the long run. Uh, th this guy gives me Dan Snyder vibes. I don't know why he gives me Dan Snyder vibes. Uh, it's, I mean, come on. He's 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 impulsive. He fires anybody at the drop of a hat. He is doesn't know how doesn't know how football works. Let's be honest. He he's a meddling owner, and meddling owners rarely win in sports. They just don't. It's, 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 it's a clown move. It's a clown move. Speaking of the AFC South, Texans dominated the Titans yesterday. CJ Stroud back in the lineup played pretty well. Had a pass rating over 100. Texans keeping their AFC South hopes alive. Uh, Tennessee's kind of reeling at this point, but they don't have much to play for. So shout out to Houston for winning that game. I shouldn't say shout out. I actually kind of wanted Tennessee to win. Even though I picked Houston, you know, Pittsburgh didn't get a ton of help yesterday, but I'm pulling for the old Texans Colts tie next week. Because if that happens, that's the, you know, there's other scenarios for Pittsburgh to get in, but we'll see. Rams, what an exciting game this ended up being. Rams beating the Giants 26-25. Tyrod Taylor playing pretty darn well. Uh, the Giants got a special teams uh, play in their favor, but went for two, didn't get it to try and uh, go up with three minutes to go. And then Mason Crosby missed a 54-yard potential game when he field goals to the Rams, surviving by the skin of their teeth. So due to that win and the Steelers beating the Seahawks, the Rams are officially in the postseason. Of course, the last time they were in the postseason, they hoisted the Lombardi Trophy. This is an unbelievable accomplishment given the expectations for the Rams. Shout out to McVay, to Stafford, to Kyron Williams and Cooper Cup, my twin. And, and Puka Nakua, Aaron Donald, everybody. That That is, listen, when you have smartly run organizations who draft well, when you already have stars there, Stafford, uh, and Cup, et cetera, 
Aaron Donald, and you got a great, great top five coach. This is this is what happens under you know a team that probably doesn't have the best roster, has a lot of holes, ends up getting the playoffs. So shout out to the Rams for doing so. Cardinals beat the Eagles. I already mentioned that game. Loved every second of it. Saints beating Tampa Bay 23-13. So it's not do or, or it's not doom and gloom for Tampa Bay. Had they won yesterday, they would have clinched the NFC South, but no harm, no foul. They play Carolina next week. If they beat the Panthers, simple as that. They win the division. They're in the playoffs. Uh, but Derek Carr played pretty well. A couple touchdowns passing. Oh, not, and by the way, QBR of, of almost 90. So Derek Carr uh, doing his thing against a, a pretty good Buccaneers defense. I, I've been a Derek Carr guy for a long time. He's obviously had a down season this year. I've criticized him in many respects. But I've also said for the Saints that if they miss the playoffs, I predicted them to go 9-8. and eight. It feels like that that's probably going to happen. I said if the Saints go 9-8 and eight, uh, with that roster, with this quarterback, it falls on Dennis Allen, who I read a report yesterday. I think Ian Rappaport said it, that Dennis Allen is likely to come back. Why? why? I, oh, boy. I mean, I've said for, for years, Dennis Allen's a great defensive coordinator. He's a terrible head coach. Why he would come back, why the Saints would let him come back is beyond me. I, I'd try and keep him as a defensive coordinator. How he's how he's he would still be the head coach next year is, is beyond me. Baker, uneven game, two touchdowns, two picks, injured his ribs in this game. Hopefully he'll be ready to go next week. But again, wouldn't panic too much if I'm Tampa. Uh they're they're still in pretty darn good shape to win the division. Patrick, Rams are the scariest team right now. I wouldn't want to see them. Nope. Not with that playoff experience, not with the way they can run the football, the way Stafford's playing. Again, folks, you see what the Ravens are doing right now. Rams almost beat them on the road. The Rams had a lead on the Ravens with two minutes to go. And if not for a questionable at best block in the back on a punt return, maybe the Rams beat them. And that's the Rams' only loss basically in the last two months. I'm telling you, like that's there's always that one team that gets hot at the end of the year, steals a wild card spot that a division champion does not want to face. This year, it's the LA Rams. So shout out to them. Niners beating the Commanders, taking care of business, twenty-seven to ten. It ended up being a, a weird game at halftime. The Commanders were somehow in this one, but uh, San Francisco short week, you know, long flight to Washington, just got their teeth kicked in against against Baltimore. So maybe they're a little bit beat up physically. Again, there's the, the flight to Washington. So some all those things playing into factor. So San Francisco, though, taking care of business, doing what they should have done, and knocking out the Commanders 27 to 10. And they are the one seed in the NFC to the shock of virtually uh, nobody, given how good they've been this season. Chiefs, well, let me just mention this. Broncos beat the Chargers, although uh, at the end of the day, Denver ended up being eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I did not watch this game, so I'm not going to act like I, I did. Uh, what else we got? Grady, I was telling people I thought they would make the playoffs. They called me crazy, but you just don't fall off a cliff two years after winning a world championship. Well, you don't do it when you have – you don't fall off a cliff, Grady, when you still have the key players that helped you get there and win it. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, the, Grady says. And when you have the coach and quarterback and pieces from that team. And listen, Stafford is still an elite quarterback. He's shown you that this year. Kyron Williams has been amazing this year running the football. Puka Nakua – it's, it's a battle between him and Stroud for offense. Rookie of the year, he's had an awesome season. One of the best rookie seasons in, in NFL history. Cooper Cup, when healthy, still effective. Yeah, you're right. I thought they'd win seven games. I thought they'd be competitive, kind of in the mix, but sort of falter at the end of the season. They've been the opposite. They had a rough start to the year. Now I look at them as, as kind of a Super Bowl contender. I really do. I wouldn't want to face them. Uh, Chiefs beat the Bengals 25-17. to 17. Uh, Listen, uh, another... Kind of pedestrian day at the office for Kansas City. Harrison Butker had to make six field goals because he's one of the best kickers in the league and because the Chiefs couldn't finish a lot of drives. I I, I didn't like – I'll tell you why I hated this. When Mahomes threw that pass 
to Valdez Scantling on the third down and short. I mean, it's, it's a perfect pass. He hits the guy in stride, and he just straight up drops it. Like, Marquez Valdez Scantling has been dropping passes like crazy this year. So of all the Chiefs, they lead the league in drops with 40. But he, just right in his hands, he drops it, and then he's yelling at Mahomes. I'm like, dude, you have to be kidding me. Mahomes has been covering for you for a month. All season long, Mahomes, Kelsey, and Reed have been defending you and the other Chiefs receivers, and here you are yelling at Mahomes. Like, what are you doing? But Cincinnati with Jake Brown at quarterback, there's limitations there. The Chiefs' defensive line abused Cincinnati's offensive line. They were able to secure this W and get the backdoor cover when it was all said and done. So uh, Chiefs getting the W, and they clinched the AFC West title for the, what would this be, the eighth year in a row? Eighth year in a row and the sixth in a row with Mahomes. Uh, meanwhile, the Bengals, due to the loss, thank God, Kansas City Chiefs, thank y'all, uh, won uh, won this game. And, or the, 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 Sorry, the Bengals are not out of the playoffs, so thank you very much. Yeah, AJ, remember Williams, Kyron Williams was out earlier this year. Yep, and they still, and by the way, they kind of struggled by that point when they didn't have sort of that run game to lean on. And that's, when you have an older quarterback, or really any quarterback, but especially an older guy like Stafford, you kind of need that guy to, to balance the offense out to be able to, to open up the passing game for Cup, for Puka Nakua and company, uh, it's it's really good uh, when, when Kyron Williams is there. Grady, if you're the Niners, the one team you don't want to see is the Rams. We know that postseason history. Yeah, and that's, that's the hilarious thing, Grady, is the fact that Shanahan has straight up owned McVay since they've been, because they took the job the same year. McVay uh, joined the Niners in 2017. McVay joined... Or Shanahan joined the Niners in 2017. McVay joined the Rams the same year. And I don't know what the record is. I mean, McVay is, is well behind Shanahan in terms of wins head-to-head. But McVay got the win when it all when it mattered most in the NFC title game the year the Rams won the Super Bowl. So, I don't know. Shanahan owns in the regular season. And in a little sample size, McVay owns Shanahan in the postseason. The good stuff. By the way, I'd be remiss if I did not bring up my Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, come on now. We are very much alive for a playoff spot. I thought we were dead in the water after that loss to Indianapolis. I was out here saying, hey, if Tomlin does not adjust to the modern NFL offensive game next year, not this year, next year, you might want to move off of him. The NFL's trending in a certain direction. I feel like Coach Tomlin, as awesome a coach as he is, was a bit behind the times. Well, Tomlin, in his defense, is probably saying, yeah, that's because my quarterback won't throw deep. I put Mason Rudolph in, and Mason Rudolph, I don't want to overact and act like he's a franchise guy or even a starter. Mason Rudolph's better than Kenny Pickett. He's better than Mitch Trubisky. That's that's obvious. He plays great last week against a good Bengals defense. Against Seattle, he got Mason Rudolph again, 274 passing and a pass rating of 112. And the, listen, the Steelers running game was amazing. Najee Harris, 122 yards rushing. Jalen Warren, 75. Steelers ran for over 200 yards in this game. And Warren and Harris became the first Steelers duo of running backs to have 1,000 yards from scrimmage, I believe, since the 80s. So the running game was creative. The offensive line was that was probably the O-line's best game of the season. Defensively, the strip sack on Geno Smith, uh, which basically put the game out of reach. And that was a fun game. It's, it's, so, it's so great to watch a team, your favorite team, scoring 30 points. I didn't think it was possible. But it was. We've done it two straight weeks now. What a surprise. When you get the ball to George Pickens, good things happen. What a surprise. George Pickens yesterday, seven catches for a buck 31, including a massive catch on third down in the fourth quarter, like a diving effort. Had to really extend his, his arms out to make the play. 
And uh, Pittsburgh, I, I think I saw today, obviously the Steelers have to beat the Ravens on Saturday to have even a shot at the playoffs. And thankfully the Ravens will likely rest their starters. But if, assuming that happens, if the Titans beat the Jaguars, we're in. If the Texans beat the Colts, we're in. If the Dolphins beat the Bills, we're in too. So we have three different scenarios with a win in which we can get in the playoffs. It's not like we have to rely on like five things happening at the same time. To It's not one of those situations. I think it's going to happen. I really do. And I'll tell you what. If you're Kansas City, if you're Miami, Buffalo, if they get in, I don't think you want to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think you want to. I'm just saying, I don't think you want to face this team if this offense is clicking like this. Steelers are three and a half point favorites in Baltimore. That obviously Vegas is assuming that the Ravens are not going to play their starters. But man, yesterday was just, I got to sit back, watch a, an offense, throw the ball down the field uh, in large part because they run the football well. The offensive line actually looks to be showing signs of life. I'm golden, man. I'm feeling, listen, I might act like the Steelers are like contenders or anything. I'm not going to, you know, lose my mind. But, listen, I, I was I picked them to make the playoffs before the year started. And I'm feeling okay right now. I am feeling okay right now. Let's go, Steelers. Here we go. Finally, Packers beat the Vikings. This was almost, this was that close to being like the perfect weekend for me because of Florida State, because of the Steelers, because of what Dak did. Because uh, and, and listen, I had the Packers lost. Cheesehead Ozzy certainly would have made an appearance on New Year's Day. Uh, that will have to wait. But I'll tell you this, and I'll give props where it's due. I picked the Vikings to win this game, and, and Green Bay absolutely obliterated them. Uh, Jordan Love's been much better than I thought he was. And one thing I give him a lot of credit for, and some credit to Matt Lafleur for, is you have seen a clear and obvious progression and improvement from Jordan Love from during the, the first month, month and a half of the season. I'm like, he doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. Here's some. There's some uh, some hesitation there. Uh, his decision-making wasn't good. Man, yesterday, against one of the league's more consistent defenses, Minnesota, well-coached with Brian Flores, Daniel Hunter rushing the passer. He, I mean, he, he looked as comfortable as he could be. Jordan Love had a pass ring of 125 and a QBR of 82, three touchdowns. He's great. So for Green Bay, thanks to the Steelers, so to my sister Chloe, to all of the Chiefs out there, you know, a, a, a late Christmas gift to the Steelers, not to me personally, but to the Steelers, uh, might be warranted because thanks to the Steelers beating the Seahawks, the Packers now control their own destiny. Simply put, if the Packers beat the Bears, they will prove me wrong and make the playoffs. Now then they'll probably face Dallas and get destroyed, but still, that's a very impressive season, especially since you missed last year without or er, er, with Aaron Rodgers. And by the way, is this all what's happening right now in Green Bay? Is this a great look for Aaron? I'm just saying, this don't look great for Aaron Rodgers right now. You know, his understudy comes in and his top five in touchdown passes. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. It's not a great look for Aaron Rodgers. Okay, by the way, uh, Wisconsin's beating LSU 7-0 right now and late in the first quarter. I forgot LSU was playing today. But uh, there you go. Speaking of which, so obviously my Vols play in 25 minutes. As soon as this uh, I get done with the show, obviously I'm going to watch uh, that game. But we've got obviously two games with much, much higher stakes tonight. If we can get the the background music, the more intense background music. In the college football playoff. At 5 Eastern. 
at the Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California, to kick off the final four-team college football playoff ever. We're going to have a 12-team playoff next year. Should be very fun and very exciting, especially with NIL and the transfer portal. Uh, Alabama taking on Michigan. The Wolverines, number one team, are favored by two points here at, I shouldn't say at home, my bad. I'm so used to saying at home. Michigan favored by two points here on a neutral site. So again, obviously Michigan, I saw the comment from the Wolverines fan uh, over the weekend who was talking about the Florida State game saying, Florida State should have been in the playoff and I'm a Michigan fan. So I, I thought that was a that was a, a nice, uh, a funny comment there. But, uh, but yeah, listen, Alabama coming in this game, they are a different Alabama team. I, I've said throughout the season, this is the most impressed I've ever been with Nick Saban. I think this is the best coaching job. Because Bama was, we felt like they were the clear, at best, number two to Georgia. Uh, I thought LSU was going to be better than Alabama. Uh, I thought LSU could have easily won the, or had they won a few games here and there, could have potentially won the SEC title. I thought Tennessee was going to be better than Bama. I thought Ole Miss was going to be better than Bama. Yeah, Bama beat all of those teams. All of them. Some of them handily. Uh, Georgia, that was not the case, obviously. But they go uh, basically to a glorified road game in Atlanta and outplay Georgia for 60 minutes, win that game, get to the college football playoff, rightfully, obviously. Jalen Milrow playing with a chip on his shoulder. He talked about how his former OC, Bill O'Brien, now the OC for the Patriots, said he should have switched positions. So he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. Very excited to get out there and compete in this game against probably the best defense in college football. Uh, certainly among contending teams, Michigan, and a Wolverines team that absolutely wants to run the football down your throat. Uh, some of that, I think, is a lack of trust in J.J. McCarthy, of which I kind of share. Some of it also is the fact that you look at Michigan uh, against Ohio State. Ohio State, uh, who, who struggled against the run, but still ran for 156 yards. Two weeks before that against Penn State, they barely threw any passes in the second half. McCarthy threw eight passes in the game, but they ran for 227 for Alabama. If you look at what they've done, and we know Georgia can run the football about as effectively um, as anybody, uh, Bama held them to 78 yards. So this is sort of like a strength-on-strength strength matchup. The question is who will win out. Obviously, these are two great coaches, although two very different postseason histories. Nick Saban is a guy who thrives. This is like, this is playing golf on a Thursday afternoon for him, the college football playoff, or postseason action in general. He's done this a million times. Harbaugh's done it plenty of times. This is Michigan's third straight college football playoff appearance, coming off a third place, a third straight Big Ten title. Jim Harbaugh, though, losing record in bowl games and in some cases gets blown out. Uh, his college football playoff history, not great so far. Got blown out by the eventual champion Bulldogs in 2021 and then got not blown out, but certainly outplayed against TCU last year. TCU, who lost by almost 60 to Georgia. You lost to them. That's what's been Michigan's history, so they got a chip on their shoulder as well. Bama, it's the nobody believed in us coming into the season. Michigan, it's the they're out to get our coach. That might be a bit strong, although I think Harbaugh is not the this awful figure like he's being presented. Uh, like being, I think it's Michigan went one step too far in terms of uh, in terms of advanced scouting. This is what basically all teams do. But that aside, Michigan's got the. They're trying to mess up our season. They suspended our coach, and yet here we are, the number one team in the playoff. I'm going to take Bama to cover. I'm taking Bama and the two points. Maybe this is just I have a faith in Michigan to run the football effectively. I obviously trust Saban way more than I trust Jim Harbaugh on these games, which scares me a little bit. Some of this, too, as I picked Michigan to win it all before the season. So... I'm going to take the Michigan Wolverines in a dogfight, in a physical knockout, dragout, hit-you-in-the-mouth type of game. 
27 to 26 over the Alabama Crimson Tide. Michigan 27, Alabama 26. It's going to be a fantastic football game. If you like physical games, this is, it doesn't get better than this. Bama likes hitching in the mouth. Michigan likes hitching in the mouth. Both teams, I anticipate, whoever wins this game is going to be a little bit in a disadvantage to whoever wins the next game I'm about to predict because of the fact of how physical this might be, or this this will be, and what this could leave behind in terms of potential injuries or even just, just uh, being beat up coming into this matchup. Okay, second game, and this could be, a, this is what I love about the playoff this year. It's not just that I feel like all four teams can win the national championship, which is rare for the full four-team playoff, but also these are two extremely different games. Michigan-Bama is going to be an, is, is a physical, hard-nosed, hitch-in-the-mouth type of game. Texas and Washington, on the other hand, where the Longhorns are favored by three and a half points, is going to be, it feels like, given the struggles at times of these defenses, kind of an up-and-down-the-field, Big 12-style game. So Washington in this game, again, four-point underdogs. The Huskies this year have been one of the greatest stories in college football, playing in the last year of the Pac-12, and hats off to the Pac-12 this year because they went out with a bang this season, being the best conference start to finish in college football this year. But Washington has two, not one, two wins over Oregon, outplaying them in both, especially the second matchup. Uh, Washington also beat Oregon State on the road in rough conditions. They beat Utah. So Washington in a tough Pac-12 was able to take care of business, go undefeated, win the Pac-12 title game, the last Pac-12 title game. Michael Penix Jr., I think, is the second-best quarterback in college football. I I love Drake May out of North Carolina. I think Penix is a little bit better. His ability to make throws in and outside the pocket, he he reminds me of Tua, obviously, because of the lefty stuff. He reminds me of Tua, but with a better arm. And Tua's got a pretty good arm. Michael Penix can sling it. And, by the way, he's better than Tua outside the pocket. Kalen DeBoer, the head coach of Washington, has done a marvelous job here. He's, I think he's one of the five best coaches in college football. He's, he's turned Washington. Washington's always been a great program. He's turned them into a flat-out powerhouse the last few years, and they have a chance to really cement themselves. As for Texas, they've been one of the most iconic brands in college football for as long as I can remember. You got... Uh, Steve Sarkeesian coming in as the new head coach. A lot of expectations for Texas coming in this year. I was a skeptic. I was a doubter. They proved me wrong. Only loss this year was a at-the-gun loss to to Oklahoma in the Red River rivalry game. Listen, the Big 12 wasn't very good this year in, 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 in fairness, but Texas took care of business, won the Big 12 title game over Oklahoma State by a lot. Uh, this feels like a high-scoring affair to me. This feels like one where Quinn Ewers, the, the quarterback of Texas, and obviously this very experienced Texas roster and a very experienced Washington roster, by the way. Texas is good at wide receiver. Washington is amazing at wide receiver. When it's all said and done, though, I think it comes down to who gets the ball in their hands last. And I think it's going to be my man, Michael Penix Jr. Give me the upset. Give me the Washington Huskies to win this game over Texas on a walk-off touchdown in overtime. I'm calling it right now. 34 to 31. Washington beats Texas tonight in the All-State Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Huskies win 34-31, which will set up a national title game between the Washington Huskies and the Michigan Wolverines, number one versus number two, and it will be a doozy. So I got, let's put this up one more time. I've got Michigan 27-26 over Alabama and Washington 34-31 over Texas. I will not be shocked if I'm wrong on both because I think this is this is the rare playoff where it's like we don't roll our eyes at the four seed and be like they really shouldn't have been in <clears throat> Cincinnati uh, <clears throat> TCU three seed uh, the the all four of these teams can win it all and I cannot wait to watch it. Let's see. 
Excuse me. Grady, where is Coach B next season? Coach Eric B. Enemy. Do you think the Commanders give him a shot? Do you think Kansas City might want to bring him back as their OC? Their offense looks like Patrick Mahomes in a Bears uniform. Well, the reason it looks like that is because, uh, and I, I'm sure this is what you're alluding to, Grady, is uh, the fact that Matt Nagy is their OC. And I've been a Matt Nagy defender and supporter for a long time. Uh, he's had better years. He's had better years as an OC. Now, if he, listen, if nobody offers BNME a coaching job, of course, here's the thing for BNME, though. Here's what's interesting. They held it against him for years that he wasn't the primary play caller. It was more Andy Reid and still is kind of Andy Reid to a, to a certain degree. But um, they held it against him, which is why he never, or supposedly, why he never got a head coaching job, as well as other factors we won't even get into. If he doesn't get a head coaching job with Washington, if Washington doesn't bring him, it doesn't, doesn't hire him when they, when they fire Rivera at the end of the season. If he comes back to Kansas City, the Chiefs' offense goes to being the best in the league again. I don't know. It's it's if I'll put it this way, Grady. If he's a head coach next year, I think it's going to be for the Commanders. Uh, I would because Rivera is going to get fired. The only guy I would have, the only guy I would absolutely hire over the enemy in Washington is Jim Harbaugh. But I think Jim Harbaugh has no interest in going to the Commanders. I think he'd want to go to the Chargers or the Raiders. So I. I would give it to the enemy if I were Washington. If they don't, maybe the spot opens in Kansas City and he comes back. And if he comes back and the offense gets back to rolling again, I don't want to see how you deny him a head coaching job this go-round. It's it's an interesting question, Grady. It's it's, it's a very interesting question. Uh, it, to me, it all depends on whether or not Washington hires him as their head coach. Let's put it that way. All right. Man, that was fun. This is New Year's Day. Kind of a morning show. We're in the, basically in the afternoon now. It's 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 past noon here, 45 past noon uh, Eastern Standard Time. But a fun, fun show. Volview coming back for the last time this season. College football playoffs tonight. Great weekend of NFL football. Oh, I'm so fired up. This is going to be a great week. This upcoming weekend, or tonight's going to be awesome. This upcoming weekend, week 18 in the NFL. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't get better than this. This is, this is what you live for doing this show. Love it. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by an earlier time today. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live at our normal time, Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. We're trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February, Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. Uh, we've passed 600. I still believe we can get to the 1,000 by that point. Very, very exciting. Love. I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate y'all uh, for helping this show grow, this channel grow. I, I, God bless y'all. I, I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart uh, for for what y'all done, and not just last year, but in years past, and hopefully continuing in in 2024. If you have subscribed again, thank you so much. Be sure to tell a friend, to tell a friend, to tell their family member, to tell their cousin, to tell their friend, to tell their dog to subscribe to Carving It Up Live. Also, if you have not subscribed. No better time than the present. Hit that bigger subscribe button down there. Hit that, and you're part of the Carving It Up family uh, forever and ever. Uh, uh, that is if you unsubscribe, and hopefully you wouldn't do that. It, it hurt my feelings. All right, also, be sure to go subscribe. Just as important to the Grid Network. 
That is GRYD, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. You can catch it all on the Grid Network, as well as our Grid Network website, where my man Patrick Brown writes some great, great pieces. Be sure to check his stuff out on the Grid Network website, as well as our other awesome content creators uh, in the audio podcasting space and on YouTube as well. So we are progressing. This, this last year, 2023, was our very first year as a grid network, uh, or as a network. We started in September of 2022. The progress we've we've made has been amazing. The support we've gotten is awesome. And be sure, of course, to a show we introduced last year on the grid to tune in to the 8 o'clock spot tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time on Twitter, on the grid network's Twitter and YouTube uh, channel. I'm the host slash judge slash moderator, whatever you want to call me, of the show. Uh, we'll have some great, great contestants, a lot of football. Cannot wait to get into it. So be sure to tune in to the 8 o'clock spot tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time, live on the Grid Network. Great college football today. Go Vols. We're going to beat Iowa today, 27-10. to 10. I've got Michigan by a point over Alabama, and I've got Washington by three in the upset over Texas in the college football playoff semifinal games. It's going to be a great, great night of, uh, of college football, a great week of football in general in college and in the NFL. I'll see you on Wednesday to break it all down. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. And Happy New Year! Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on The Grid Network.